At some point in time, we're all going to have to manage and learn to live with grief, the loss of a loved one. And grief doesn't stick to a schedule, my friends. It doesn't reserve itself for our off time, our days off, or our weekends and evenings. It comes at us full frontal with a sucker punch sometimes, no matter how many days have passed or how many weeks, months, even years have passed since our loss. So how do we learn to live with grief and still run our businesses? That's the conversation we're having today on the show. Welcome to Business Mindset Mastery. I'm your host, Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and leadership expert. I work with business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs, and I'm always having the hard conversations, and today is no exception. I have a listener letter about the loss of her mother, so I'm going to let her tell her story, and I'll find you all on the other side. Heather, my mom died eight months ago. Some days I'm okay and I can do my work. I run a PR firm for small business owners. Other days though, Heather, I'm just weeping out of nowhere and can't get it together. She was my best friend, Heather, and I miss her so incredibly deeply. She left my house after a game night, was hit by a driver who slid on some ice in an intersection and died 36 hours later. She was here and then she wasn't. I can't make sense of it, Heather. I can't get out of it. Throwing myself into work helped at first. I welcomed the distraction and I told myself she would be proud of me if I just kept on doing it. But I just can't. I'm angry and I'm bitter. I got one of my clients on a feature on the Today Show. That should have been the biggest win of my career. But without my mom to share it with, I don't care. And it doesn't even have a point. I've lost my drive and I've lost my ambition. My work product hasn't suffered at all from what I can tell, but I can see how I'm generating far less new business because I can't be bothered. How do business owners get their mojo back when life hits us so hard? Sure, I've been able to take time. Sure, my business has still been able to run without me on all cylinders, but there has to be more than it just taking there has to be more than just taking regular cry breaks, right? Help me, please. Okay. First of all, thank you um, for writing this letter. My gosh, um, it's so sensitively written and it's so real and it's so personal. Um, and I, I think sometimes we take for granted the vulnerability that letter writers offer to the audience by sharing their own experience and allowing listeners to learn from their stories. So thank you so much for doing this. And I, I'm certainly going to give it the good old fashioned college try and how to manage it. And I think that one of the things that, um, you know, first comes to mind in these situations every time people kind of, you know, talk to me about this is I, I think that there's often a mistake that gets made that grief has to be private because grief isn't professional. So what ends up happening is we start to have this emotional reaction. We start to say, oh my gosh, I'm going to be crying at work in 10 seconds. Or you've heard me do it on the show before when I'm like, holy crap, I'm crying on the podcast again. And one of the things, let's actually, let me step away for a second. Let me use that as an example because it's neutral. And that way, as you're listening to me, maybe you're not crying about your mom and you'll, you'll be able to learn this a little bit easier. So 
So picture me, right? I'm, uh, if I'm just recording the show and I'm telling a story and all of a sudden I can feel the emotion. I can feel myself either feeling the experience again, feeling sentimental, feeling swept away with it. And there was a period of time on the show when I was moving to California where I really felt like I was crying all the time and it embarrassed me. It made me, um, it made me feel like people might not take me seriously. It made me worry what, you know, the listeners were sort of, responding to and what they thought about it. Um, if they were, you know, hearing my tears as indulgent, I created all of these stories that got connected to the tears. So not only was I getting emotional because of whatever it was I was talking about, I then started to compound the emotion and make it even harder because I was telling myself a story that I'm embarrassing myself. This isn't appropriate. This isn't professional. What are people going to think of me? And then undoubtedly, like, you know, sort of without fail, the tears would show. And then I'm sitting there telling myself, oh my God, holy Christ, like again, I'm going off on a podcast, crying on a podcast, blah, 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 right? Like you've heard, you probably have heard me do this before. So one of the things that I've actually learned through that experience and kind of working through some of my own embarrassment about it is recognizing that I get through it and I stop crying so much faster if I just go, oh, I'm crying. (laughs) There it goes. There it is. And including my audience and why and saying like, oh God, like, wow, like still hits me hard or wow, this just has me like, you know, right in the gut, super sentimental or just, you know, you guys hear my loss or you hear my longing. I think one of the things that happens when people are in the grieving process is they think it has to be private, that they can't be shared. But people you work with and people you encounter with, they can know about a human experience. It is not unprofessional professional to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just having a moment of emotion. My mom died last year and I sure do miss her a whole heck of a lot. You know, there's no, there's no shame in that. There's no, um, there's nothing to be embarrassed, just telling people what you want them to think. And you can even, um, I don't know how your office works if you're entire, if you're virtual or if you're a brick and mortar, but you can always excuse yourself and say, I'm sorry, this is, you know, this is hitting me a little bit harder today. I'm just going to go to the bathroom and freshen up or I'm just going to go around the corner and kind of wipe my face because I want to be present for you. Because I think what ends up happening is we put all of our pressure on ourselves to not grieve at work, to not bring it to work, to not let it affect work. And that pressure is actually what creates the disturbance at work. That pressure is actually what makes it so hard to move through the process because we're not giving ourselves permission to go through the process. So one of the things I would start to think about is how much permission can you give yourself to just be open with people? Like, this is a really hard time for me. This is, you know, there's a lot of memories here, or there's a lot about this job or me doing this job that makes me think of my mom, because she would be so proud of me. But, you know, I'm okay. I'm good. I think it's okay to acknowledge it, to say, like, this is where I'm at, and then to allow the conversation to shift and move on. But so often we we do this thing where we're trying to make it more comfortable for other people than make it more comfortable for ourselves. And sometimes if we could just get off like the trying not to be emotional and trying not to, you know, have it affect other people and just can let it pass, it gets 
it just gets done so much quickly. You know, and the other thing, and please, you know, take no offense to this and, and don't read anything into this. I am not, you know, diagnosing you with any kind of mental illness because you're in a grief process. So please don't hear that when I say that. But one of the strategies that I used when I was working with people who struggled with bipolar is also a really good strategy for working around and managing and learning to live with grief. And I am not saying that like when you're struggling with grief, it's just like living with bipolar or vice versa. So please like, (laughs) don't, don't correct me in all the letters. I know like just bear with me for the sake of the analogy, right? And that's because somebody who's struggling with bipolar, which is a mood disorder that comes with these like epic highs and these really low lows, or sometimes there's no real huge high and no real huge low, but there's like these dips and valleys or extended periods of downtime with, you know, an occasional upswing. However it looks for those folks, there's little control they have because so much of it is um, bad wiring in their brain, right? Like serotonin is just running them and it's not working the way it should be working. So they can go to bed on a Monday night and feel like Monday was awesome. They had a good work conversation. They conquered this. They did that. They solved this problem. They were productive about that. They figured this out. They did that. And Tuesday is just going to be awesome. And then they wake up on Tuesday morning and there it is again, the cloud the gray, the heavy, the weight, the what's the point to this all? Yesterday was such a good day and now it has to suck and I feel like crap. And it's this con and it's this unavoidable downturn. Now, one of the things that I would say to people who are struggling with bipolar is the same thing that I would say to people who are struggling with chronic grief is the idea that you don't have the luxury of calling out every single time you're having a hard day. That part of the challenge absolutely has to be learning to live with the hard day and going and do the hard thing because you'll lose your job if you're employed or your business will suffer if you're running your own business. But what you have to do is figure out the tools and the tips and the strategy that make working easier. And so often, all we're doing is giving ourselves permission to, or so often, let me correct myself, so often what we're doing is not giving ourselves permission to be grieving at work. We're trying to check it at the door because anything else feels like we're doing the wrong thing. So then as a result, I think we we just tie ourselves up into knots and, and make it even harder. So I think that, you know, step one is giving yourself permission. But then step two is starting to figure out what are going to be the coping strategies. And one of the things that I would say suggest to folks who are living with bipolar that also works for people struggling with grief is to schedule the meltdown. You know in your bones and you feel it that you need to cry, that you're just sad, that you miss your mom, that this awesome thing happened and you didn't get to share it. This frustrating thing didn't happen and you, you know happened and you didn't get to share it and you're living in the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. So what I would be doing if I were you is I would just accept those sad periods of time and I would schedule it. So the idea that if it's two o'clock in the workday and you still have two meetings ahead of you, you're telling yourself, you know what, you've got this and you're strong and you're capable and you are going to be able to cry. You just can't cry right now. So how about at seven o'clock when your shift ends and you close your car door, you can just cry with all your might and let it out. 
And so often, if we tell ourselves not now and answer specifically, but when, that's enough to get us to white knuckle through those times when we're feeling really emotional, but we're called to do other things. Because I think what ends up happening in stories like yours, because you led with it in your letter, it's been eight months. So in your mind, eight months has been the socially acceptable time or past the socially acceptable time to be grieving, to be missing your mom, to be trying to figure out how a random game night ended in such harm and tragedy and you're telling yourself you should be over it by now but the reality is is it's not normal to you know have a game night as a family and to you know give your mom a hug and a kiss and say see you tomorrow and then not be able to see her tomorrow that isn't the way it typically goes so your body and your life have experienced a trauma and the idea that you're going to put a time limit on that and say tick tock time's up you got to be over this by now is not a realistic expectation for yourself but now that you've had eight months of practice with this of learning to live with it of giving it the good old college try my guess is you know what your trigger points are you know for yourself like the things and the moments and the things that happen that make you emotional, that bring it fresh to the surface, that make you think about her. So what I want you to do is be aware of what those trigger points are, make a note of them for yourself, and then make a plan. So if you know you get, you know, you know, you know, you get emotional when the um, freelancer who looks like your mom gets on the call, you're going to give yourself a little bit of a pep talk and say, hey, like, yes, yes, you're going to be reminded of your mom in this conversation. And yes, you can deal with that. You just can't deal with it then. And then the next thing I would start to think about is another piece that people don't often do, and that's including their coworkers in this and asking for help and asking for, you know, someone to have their back. You know, what's interesting for me is that like it's one of those had to swallow my own medicine because there were so many times when my husband was sick that I didn't ask for help because in my mind I had chosen to stay with the man in the wheelchair. Nobody else had made that decision for themselves. So why? should they be helping rather than really tuning in and recognizing that it takes a village, that we all have a part and that people who are on the outside looking in a lot of times are just dying to help. They so desperately want to connect and be useful and be of value and be of service. So some of this is allowing yourself to sort of include your struggle with other people to see how some people show up and rise to the occasion and how they jump in and help and to figure out what does help actually look like? Because the thing is, is like there's certain things we all do, right? Like your freezer gets filled with casseroles and your um, mantle gets covered with flowers and you get sympathy cards. Like there's so many things that happen that we don't ever really ask ourselves, well, what do I actually need right now? What would be the most beneficial to me? And what is the best way I can show up for this? And to see like, and where do I need help with that? And where do I need somebody to have my back a little bit? And to be able to ask those questions critically. The other thing that I I can tell you as um as you know, I'm a, I was an adult, I was a kid when I lost my mom. I was only six years old, but 
Um, one of the books that really helped me, and she has a whole series now, is um, a, a series of books on motherless daughters. Um, I would I would give that a go because sometimes I think what happens, particularly when daughters lose their moms, there's like this part of grief and there's this process of grief that not everybody understands unless they were a woman who also lost their mom. And there's workbooks on this and there's journal entries on it and, you know, talking points on it. You might find some value and comfort there. But then additionally, I would really like you to think about what are the resources you're collecting for yourself? Have you told your friends and your other family members that this is hard? Because a lot of times what ends up happening is people say, well, they miss my mom too. And if they're not having a bad day, if they're not having that bad grief day, I don't want to be the reason why they're suddenly in a grief day. So I'm not going to say anything. But you know, this is, it's a community and we have to build each other up. So I would make sure that you're connecting with your community and you're connecting with your network and you're letting them know that you're hurting and you're asking for company and you're giving them a heads up because so often, you know, we just sit and spin when we're thinking on our own. And until we say things out loud and until we share them, sometimes we don't even find our truth. Sometimes we don't even find our, you know, the whole point to it all. But that would really, you know, if we were just to share it with a friend or take some time and say, this happened to me. This is my story. Um, and including people in it, letting them know when you're having a tough time and as much as you can identifying what's helpful for you. You know, it's so funny as I'll, I'll have people now who will be like, please don't analyze the crap out of this situation. I just need some company. And that great. Awesome. <laughs> like you don't need the therapist on call. You just need the girlfriend, but you can tell people what you need and what would be helpful and trust them to meet that and to meet you halfway. But the other, you know, the other piece to this is I just want to remind you, it hasn't even been a year yet. So you were like, you know, and one of the things as, you know, when I did grief work as a therapist and was strictly in that role, you know, one of the things I would always say is like the first year is going to be the hardest. You have to get through the first everything, the first Christmas, the first birthday, the first, you know, all of these little milestones and anniversaries that your mom wasn't there for. You're not done going through them. So of course, it's still hitting you a little bit hard. Of course, it feels off and unnatural because this is not your normal yet. You'll get there and it can become your normal. You're just not there right now. So, you know, my, my, my best direction here is to just be honest with yourself and those around you about where you're at and what you need. And, you know, and then lastly, don't be afraid to ask somebody for help for it. Um, you know, I, I actually don't recommend me, <laughs> which is like given that I use my podcast to market my show. Um, and it's not because I wouldn't love to have the conversation with you. And if you can't imagine yourself talking to anybody but me about this, like, please do do reach out. I would love to help you. But the reason why I say that is because this kind of work, like, I really believe it has to happen in the room. I really believe in that like old fashioned, like kind of therapy experience for grief, because it's such a personal experience. And it, it just, there's something really powerful when someone can sit in a room with you and just kind of share space and not talk. And so much of grief 
is about learning to come to quiet acceptance, which is very different than saying, it's okay, this happened. I'm giving permission to this happening, but to recognizing that this is the way life happened. So as a result, this is our new future. I, yes, I can do this work online, but I would encourage you to give some thought um, to maybe just talking to somebody professionally, not because grief is a mental health condition and not because it's diagnostic in any way, but sometimes it's really refreshing to take the pressure off of deciding how much someone can handle. Um, because I think that a lot of people, when they're not talking to people like me, they, um, they get nervous, like, oh, I don't want to be too dark or, oh, I don't want to be too detailed or, oh, this person had a relationship with my mom too. And we, we get it. We get in our own way for how we're going to release it. So I always say it's best to pay someone for that shit. Like that way you don't have to worry about it. It's actually their job to sit and listen and not talk if you have nothing to say. And it's their job to sit and listen to every detail, every memory, and to hear you repeat your stories until you find your way with it all. Sometimes that's space that like gives you a judgment-free zone really is super comforting during times like these. So I'm going to encourage you to give that one some thought um, and, uh, you know, and see where you land. But the biggest thing I can tell you is just give yourself permission to be where you are right now without sort of naming or blaming yourself for being anything different or showing up in any kind of different way. Um, and I hope you know too that, and I hope you knew even as you were writing the letter that there's no way I was going to make this a definitive guide for managing grief as a business owner. But um, I do hope I've given you some talking points. I do hope that you'll consider reaching out to your team and telling them what's going on, any clients who you think might be affected or curious or worried. I would just encourage you to um, give some of this some words, some breath, and some life because sometimes we're just making it entirely too scary by keeping it to ourselves. Um, I'm, I'm finding myself as I'm talking to you today like having a hard time wrapping up the show um, because I I don't want to leave you hanging. So hopefully this has um, been enough to help you organize your thinking a little bit and help you find your way with it. Certainly follow up with me if you have any questions. You you know how to find me. Everybody else, it's Heather at choosetohaveitall.com. And just know that my, my wish and my prayer for you is that you find peace sooner rather than later. And that's true for everybody listening and whatever it is they're holding today. Thank you so much for today. I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.